But the one I will never forget that was life altering. I mean, the biggest of them all was the phone call of a relapse that left him in a coma for nine days. Welcome to episode 59 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Anne and Lori. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Anne and Lori, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Has your loved one relapsed? Did you expect it? How did you react? Today we're going to talk about relapse. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of relapse. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer and I'll be your host today. Joining me is co-host Jessica. How are you today, Jessica? I'm good, Spencer. Thank you. How are you? I'm I'm great. And uh, welcome to your uh, your first experience on the show. Here. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I've been asking Jessica for a while, and finally schedules like worked <laughs> out. You know, the first segment of today's episode of the Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic relapse. Following a musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our lives. We will follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. We have a, a reading from uh, the Naranon book, uh, which is titled Sharing Experience, Strength, and Hope. This is the first time I've seen this book. Thanks, Jessica, for bringing it. You're welcome. And the reading is from December 9th. It's titled Mind My Own Business. I know from working the Naranon program that the only person I can control is me, yet occasionally I still try to control people and situations. When will I learn? After celebrating his second year of recovery, my husband relapsed, plunging my life and my own recovery into a deep hole. I stopped attending my meetings, and I stopped using the phone list. My urge to control the situation returned instantly. My whole focus was on getting my spouse back into the program. I even left our small children at home alone to search abandoned buildings where I thought he might be. I tried many things to get the addict to see what he was doing to our family. When that did not work, I blamed myself for not seeing the signs sooner. I never once realized how out of control and damaging my own behavior was. Finally, my sponsor reminded me of the importance of minding my own business and remembering what is my business and what is not. My loved one's sobriety definitely was not my business. And uh, that's a, it's a great introduction. I, I remember those, those feelings. Um, uh, although, uh, since uh, my loved one was not taking drugs in abandoned buildings, I didn't have to go do that part. Thankfully, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, so I had a couple of um, sort of thoughts here about, about relapse. You know, we, we talk about alcoholism as a disease, and sometimes we say it's chronic and progressive and eventually fatal if not treated. And... Uh, that relapse doesn't have to be part of the disease, but it is frequently part of the process. And uh, I know we've both um, experienced relapse of our loved ones um, in as they sought to find sobriety. Um, and uh, I'll start out with a little bit of my story um, because uh, 
I mean, I came into the program uh, after into into Al-Anon after my loved one had tried several times um, in various programs to uh, to get sober, both uh, outpatient and uh, inpatient. Uh, and you know, it just it wasn't working. Um, and before I came into the program, I was, you know, I was buying into the story. Uh, you know, well, I'm working on it, but I, I, I just can't stop right now. But you know, don't tell the doctors. Um, and so, you know, I didn't, I didn't really see sobriety and relapse at that point. Um, shortly after I came into Elena, I think a couple months after I came into Elena, she went off to a, um, a long-term residential program, and, uh, and came back. Uh, seemingly sober and well, she was, um, you know, working a program. And uh, I found that pink cloud that uh, sometimes you hear about in, in talks, everything was great. The miracle had happened, you know, and it was going to be, everything was going to be fine from now on. And a few months later, we were sitting in therapist's office. Um, I guess a follow-up visit from, you know, her treatment and, uh, therapist asked me, you know, how things were going. And I said, well, well, you know, things are great. You know, we're, we're, we're doing fine. And my wife uh, made some comment about, well, I said, I wasn't worried at all. And and she made some comment about, well, maybe you should be. And I had no, I didn't know what that meant. I just kind of brushed it off. Like, no, I don't need to worry. You know, things are great. You're sober and, and everything's going fine. And I started seeing behavior that in retrospect should have been really obvious to me, but I think denial is so strong, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, um, she would come home early from work and take a nap. Uh, and I thought, well, it works hard and, um, you know, she needs, she needs her rest. And eventually one night, um, you know, the, her behavior was just obviously drunk. And I went up to the bedroom and I looked in the closet and there were a bunch of empty bottles and, and I was like, what, what, um, you know, because I had been in denial. Um, and that was, that was the, uh, that was the first time that I really recognized relapse as relapse. Um, and, uh, and I'll maybe talk a little bit later about how my program relapsed at that point as well. And, and what happened, um, you know, her story goes on for a couple more years of, um, treatment, sobriety for some period of time, uh, relapse. Uh, and, uh, at one point, uh, I would, I would say to people, yeah, I'm married to a chronic relapser. Um, so it, uh, but the, the first one was the one that really, you know, really killed me. Um, I mean, that first one that I identified after eight months of sobriety. So how about you, Jessica, you want to tell us a little bit of your story? Yeah, definitely. Um, when I first came to Al-Anon, um, it was because I had found myself in a relationship with someone who was in recovery when I met them. Actually, they had just been released um, from being incarcerated for for around three years. So mm-hmm. three years of sobriety. Enforced, enforced sobriety. Yes, enforced um, I, I, don't, I think I was just so in awe of everything that I saw and meeting someone um, in the position that he was in just kind of captivated me. So that mm-hmm. was my uh, 
my probably the first uh, red flag. <laughs> uh, my int- my introduction to to Al-Anon was should have been very um, clean after that. But um, so I, I came to Al-Anon because I knew of the program that he was working and it was just recommended that I, I check it out. So I did and I, I didn't come in um, on knees. I, I just came in with an open mind. Um, it's really hard for me to talk about specific experiences I've had in the past um, six years with relapse with him mm-hmm. because he uh, definitely had what you, what we describe as this disease that is chronic and it is progressive um every few months he would relapse and it came to the point where i wasn't sure um if i could even define what relapse was because mm-hmm. i don't know that he ever really did uh get sober i never i i don't know i still don't mm-hmm. know to this mm-hmm. day so um the the and- one and I guess, I mean, we can't really know, mm-hmm. you know, is this sobriety or is this just a period of not using, not drinking? Right. Um, and I guess from my perspective, the question is, how did I see it at mm-hmm. the time? And then how did I feel when it was over? When, 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 you know, when she started using or when he started using, you know, and, and because we're trying to come from our own perspective here, right? right? So if it felt like, he was clean, and then it felt like he relapsed. I think that's you know that's what's important to us here, right? Well, then I, there was a lot of that. <laughs> <laughs> it was very back and forth. Um, relapse for me actually um, was really apparent because it was kind of an all or nothing, and it was big. Mm-hmm. So um, it would be that call. From the family member or from the police, mm-hmm. um, in and out of jail. Um, but the one I will never forget that was life altering. I mean, the biggest of them all was the phone call of a relapse that left him in a coma for nine days. Um, I reacted in terror and I in think pain. I remember yeah. In meetings at that point. Yeah. That's, that was my, that was my bottom, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, can you can you bring back some of the feelings you had then and and uh, express them for for our listeners? Yeah, I can definitely try. Um, I know that's something that I probably have shoved way down deep, oh, so yeah. I don't have to um, feel those things. But um, I think the first thing I felt was anger. Yeah. I was angry and I'm, I'm a very soft person and I responded with rage that I had never experienced before. Mm. And I, I mean, I, it, it was an absolute loss of control. Wow. I remember, I remember getting the news and I remember throwing my phone against the wall and wow. just not even thinking at that point. Um, and my rage immediately turned to, like I said, probably terror, just complete and utter fear and a, at a loss, um, not knowing what was going to happen. I, My thoughts, I, I can't even remember mm-hmm. what they were. I think I was just so – all I had was my feelings at that time. 
Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it it was it was just it was it was painful. Um, I think it, I assumed the worst, and I just right. assumed at that point I had lost my loved one. That he had he was he was going to die, and he was he was dead at that point. How long do you remember? Sort of how long you'd been coming to Elanon at that point? At that point, I had been a member of Elanon for probably two or three years. Um, my time in Elanon has been interesting because. I know eventually we'll talk about this, but I have come and gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have my seasons is what I like to say, <laughs> though it lives in me every day. Um, I definitely have had my times where I, I'm not as present. I'm not attending meetings. And um, this is definitely what brought me back in. So I was loosely, I would say, mm-hmm using the program when I wanted to under right. my terms the right. first couple of years. Yeah. yeah. So would you say that the relapse sort of forced you to come back into the program on maybe on God's terms? Oh, yes, definitely. It always actually is on God's terms. Well, <laughs> it's never been on. <laughs> I mean, definitely um, what I've gained from the program has just has been a motivator and an encourager for me to come back in because of all the wonderful things. But Usually, my rock bottom is is something that uh, brings me back in, and I usually assume that's part of my process. Yeah, yeah. So, um, how did I react when when uh, at that that first relapse after eight months of? Um, well, you know, the first part of the eight months when when she was at, in treatment uh, was full of uh, some uncertainty, some fear. Um, I remember when she told me that she was going to be able to come home for a weekend and I kind of freaked out like, oh my God, what's going to happen? You know, because I didn't want things to go back to the way they were and I didn't, I didn't know how they could like be different. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when she was coming home for real, I was, it was the same thing. It was like, you know, panic. Um, and then she was home and, you know, she was sober and things were going great, right? Um, so she relapsed, um, and I think probably she relapsed, you know, maybe a month before I recognized it, um, strong denial there. Uh, and so when I discovered it, so she had been at this treatment center and, you know, when they left, they, they, I don't know if this is typical, but they had to sign a contract said, you know, if you relapse, you'll come back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, we signed this contract. You have to go back. Um, uh, you know, do you want, do you want to call them or do you want me to call them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so the reading there about trying to take control, I mean, absolutely. I definitely try to take control and force her back into, into recovery. So she went back, uh, back to the treatment center for another month. And I think they wanted to keep her longer. I didn't think we could afford for her to be there longer. So again, I took control, said, no, no, we just said she was coming back for a month, you know, 30 day touch up, whatever. Right. And, uh, so she got out on a Friday, um, drove back home and drank. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so my, my whole attempt to control, to force her back into recovery, obviously did not work. Um, it cost us a bunch of money, um, a bunch of angst. Um, I remember she wanted me to, um, tell her doctor that, uh, she wasn't going to be able to make an appointment or something. I don't know. 
And I don't think I've ever talked about this actually out loud. Um, it was so embarrassing. Uh, so I saw this woman in a coffee shop that I thought was her doctor. And I went up and I started to tell her <laughs> what had happened. And, and she said, um, I think I'm not who you think I am. I'm so-and-so. Oh, no. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so embarrassed. So embarrassed. And I would see this person um, both, both. I mean, she was like parent of a kid at my kid's school, you know. So I would see her occasionally. And, and I would just kind of like ignore her, you know. <laughs> crazy. I don't know if there's some amends there or not. It's an interesting question. Um, but you know, it, it was totally crazy behavior. I mean, I, I really felt like, um, I relapsed. Mm -hmm. Um, I went back to my old panic and fear and fix it. Mm -hmm. I have to fix this thing and I have to fix it right now kind of behavior. Um, and I had been, at that point, I had been in the program, I think, 10 months, something like that. It was like February, I think it was February or March, and I came into the program in April the year before. So I had some recovery. Um, I had been working the steps with a small group. I had a sponsor. So I wasn't as helpless. I was still powerless, but I wasn't as helpless as I had been uh, a year before because I did have tools, and as soon as I recognized that I had gone off the deep end along with her, um, I really stepped up my program. Um, I started going to, I think I ended up, I was going to five meetings a week, for, up from like two or three. Um, and undoubtedly, I was doing a lot more reading and stuff, and, and, and sort of got myself back on track pretty quickly. Um, I mean, to the point that when when she came out of the, of the treatment and, and drank, I don't think I freaked out. I think I was not happy, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I don't remember freaking out when that happened. It was kind of like, ah, oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, a, what a waste, as right. it were. Um, so what do you, you know, what do you know about relapse? What have you learned about relapse um, that, I mean, one of the things that, that, that I have heard definitely from, from my AA friends is that, you know, picking up the drink is the last step mm -hmm. in a relapse process. Um, and I don't know, what, if, what, have you, what have you learned? I, I was always focused on the drink, the last step. Mm -hmm. so, and so I could never, I mean, it's, it's a cunning and baffling disease, so I could never understand, well, if that's all it is. You know, then why not? Why don't you just stop? Mm -hmm. um, and I would have to constantly be reminded by him that that's that's the last part of it. It's what happens right before and ten steps before, which could have been a thought. It could have been um, a, a behavior from someone else. I mean, it's it could have been a combination of things that trigger this part of him mm -hmm. um that that whether it was insecurity or an anger or something from the past that would then eventually turn in to um that last step and then it would officially be defined in our mind as a as a relapse um and i know for me like in it, being an al-anon that's the same way i view a relapse um for my program, I 
I can relapse just by picking up old tools that didn't work um, and and ignoring or forgetting or or sometimes choosing to throw out the new tools I have mm-hmm. because that old stuff is still somewhat comfortable. Mm-hmm. So it's unfortunate to admit it, but I'm going to do it. I probably relapse daily still. <laughs> I mean, I'm still learning. And then yeah. that's why they say it's, it's often part of the process. Yes, yes. You know, and I, I've said this before, my uh, my minister told me um, recently. I was I was talking about how I had put my serenity in the hands of another person, mm-hmm. and and she said, "Well, she said your drug of choice is other people," yeah. and you know you picked up. Yep, <laughs> I was Heard like, that. "Yep, that <laughs> is so true. That is so true." You know, we have this email um, from Rebecca, which um, I think echoes some of the early relapse feelings and also, um, you know, this question about what is relapse and maybe you could read that. Yeah. So this is from Rebecca. I'm writing this in order to thank all of you at the recovery show for helping me through some really hard times. I am in a relationship with an alcoholic who is trying to quit on his own and who doesn't want to go to AA. He's been in treatment, but so far his recovery has been a story of one relapse after another. He's managed to stay away from alcohol one month or maybe two, and then it happens again. The last time was right before Christmas, and it made me feel so lost and abandoned. But at the same time, it helped me to get get more of the program into my life. I started going to Al-Anon meetings in October, and during my loved one's latest relapse, I committed myself even more to the program. I live in Sweden, and in my town we have four meetings each week, but most weeks I can only get to two of them. Your podcast helped me so much to feel hope in my life. It's like having a meeting in my pocket. I listen every day when I'm commuting to work or to my school or while cleaning and doing other stuff. I feel like you guys are my friends, and I was really sad when I found out that Kelly and Swetha left. But I am also grateful for all they did for the podcast and for me. So anyway... There's a lot I want to say, but I think it's great that you're doing an episode on relapse. Sometimes I'm wondering about the definition of it and whether the alcoholic in my life is having relapses when he's not really in recovery. Anyway, I'm sure they start before he picks up the drink. Usually I find myself feeling suspicious, smelling his breath, and asking him if he's been drinking. Codependency relapse, anyone? And the tension grows between us. I have another question that I hope you could address in future episodes. Sometimes I feel really ashamed in the meetings because I've chosen to stay with the alcoholic. There are some members that have chosen to end their relationships, and I sometimes get the impression that they think it's the right thing to do for everyone. For me, it was a great relief when I understood that I didn't have to make a decision about the relationship right now. I can wait and see what happens. Again, thank you for being there, Rebecca. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Um, and, And, you know, this question about is every period of is every period of not drinking sobriety um, was one that I struggled with, and I and, and like I said, I think eventually I decided it really didn't matter whether it was sobriety or not. It was how it felt to me. But I do remember um, once we went on a we went on a trip. We went to California to visit my brother. Uh, it was like a week, um, and it was uh, it was actually it was it was my fiftieth birthday. We celebrated my birthday with my brother. And we went to Disneyland, which was also celebrating its 50th birthday that year. So that was kind of cool. I didn't really under- realize that Disneyland had been born like a month before me. <laughs> but 
Um, I tried to try to get them to give me free admission because you know my birthday and Disney right, birthday, birthday present you know, didn't 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 work. <laughs> but they did give me a, a sticker so that all throughout the day, the, the all the employees would say, "Oh, happy birthday!" You know, that's nice. Um, funny experience. My daughter and I were were going up. It was it was late in the evening. We were going up the ramp to a, a ride, and there was this um, uh, clutch of of young women girls in front of us sort of chattering to each other and some of them were on their phones and everything and as we went through the turnstile and the, the Disney person said happy birthday sir these girls all turned around and they said happy birthday and then one of them said well, I was on her phone she said my friend says happy birthday too Aww, <laughs> like, that's oh that's sweet <laughs> only at Disneyland only at Disneyland but anyway for that week she decided to not drink hmm. she just didn't drink for the whole week I was like oh this is cool mm-hmm. um and we got to the L.A. airport to fly home. And I think as we were driving to the airport, she said to me, um, I don't think I can keep from drinking on the plane. That was one of her wet places was airplanes. Hmm. I mean, she had a lot of wet places, but that was one of them. Uh, you know, she called it the flying bar. And, uh, and you know, my feeling was, my feelings were very conflicted. And, uh, um, I mean, on that, I was kind of like, well, if that's what's going to happen, that's what's going to happen. I mean, you know, uh, I knew I was powerless, um, that it was her, you know, her choice, I guess, in this case, sounded like a choice anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it was the compulsion. She just figured she wasn't going to be able to withstand the compulsion. I was also angry. And not because, oh, she's drinking again, but because um, one of the things that I like to do when I travel is to go visit brew pubs. <laughs> and since she wasn't drinking, I couldn't do that. And so I was like, damn it. Right. Like, I didn't get to go to all these places because you weren't drinking, and now you're going to drink again, damn it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which I guess is, is, you know, something that's more unique to a legal drug. <laughs> um, but uh, so, you know, was that sobriety that, that week? I kind of think not. I think it was just not drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still brought up this reaction in me. It brought up, you know, I think that week brought up some hope that, hey, well, you know, she can, like, not drink for a week. Maybe she can just stay stopped. Right. And, and then, of course, you know, reality came crashing in. Right. Um, so uh, it's, it's a hard question, Rebecca, but um, I really think uh, the, uh, the answer is how does it feel to you? Um, you know, if it feels like sobriety followed by relapse to you, um, then that's, you know, that's the part that, that you can work, you can work with. Um, and I guess I also just, um, briefly want to address the question of staying, um, with the alcoholic. And I don't know, you might have something to say about that mm-hmm. too, Jess. Uh, because I also chose to stay with my alcoholic, although it was, um, it was a, it was a long decision. Um, it was a decision that, that for a long time I didn't really know the answer to. And the program told me that I didn't have to make a decision at that point. And, and I'm grateful for that because I did eventually come to, um, a place of being truly able to detach with love and being able to see that, um, you know, I wanted to stay married, um, despite whatever was happening. Uh, and, uh, but the, the story here, a, a good friend of mine, um, when she came into the program, uh, the, the meeting that was, is my home group, uh, 
and was at the time also uh, has a beginner's meeting after the meeting where people who are new to the program can sit down with uh, one or two people who are have been in, been around for a while and, you know, get a chance to ask some questions, find out more about the program, because you can't really do that in a meeting setting, the big meeting that we have with, you know, a whole bunch of people sitting in a circle. And so this friend um, was, I think, engaged at this point to um, the alcoholic in her life and did not want to give him up, did not want to break up the relationship. But uh, And so I was leading the beginner's meeting at that point, and I told my story, and and she told me later that she was so grateful to, uh, you know, to hear that there were people who, who stayed um, connected to um, their loved ones despite the disease. And it wasn't until a long time after that um, when, when we really, you know, knew each other pretty well. And, and I could say this without, um, you know, offending or hurting her. I said, you know, when you were telling me your story, the thought that was going through my head was, you're not stuck with this guy run, but I didn't say it. And I didn't say it because each of us has to find our own truth and what is true for me particularly in personal relationships, may or may not be true for anybody else. And so um, I really try as hard as I can to, to, you know, not give my answers uh, to somebody else's situation. And you're just nodding and smiling here, so I wanna, I'm going <laughs> to shut up and let you talk now. Well, I, I'm trying to think, was that me? <laughs> <laughs> it was not you. It was not because, you. Well, it, but that's, that's the cool thing about this program is that's my story as well um i know when i came in i was i was nervous that they were gonna say go like what are you doing um because that's what i was hearing from everyone my family my friends um every opinion um that i valued before with any other matter no longer um was fit for my situation or for for me because they did not approve of the relationship I chose to be in, and especially when I got engaged too, because I I did not want to let go. Um, so it was really comforting though because I did meet a lot of people that choose to stay, and a lot of people who choose to leave, and it is one day at a time. And there were days that I remember being like, I, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. I have to leave. Mm -hmm. And then there were days where I wanted to stay. So it, it was constantly changing for me. Um, and I don't think I really ever considered it as a true choice because while I had all these people telling me I had one, for me, I was very controlled by my feelings. Mm -hmm. So the choice of leaving was not an option. I love this man. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stick by his side. I'm going to support him. I am, I'm not going anywhere. So I didn't have the choice because mm -hmm. my heart was with him. Right. And that, I mean, that was years ago. And I chose for years to stay with him, um, through horrible, horrible things. And it's, probably been i think yeah six six years now since the beginning and i'm no longer with him and that was not a decision i made because of what i was told 
mm-hmm. or what I what I perceived people were mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. about my relationship. It was a decision I eventually made because I found my truth, just like you said. Yeah, and that's what we have to do. I want to read this email from Patty. She says, I've dealt with relapse several times. As an addict, I've had periods of time where I've played dangerously close to the edge of relapse. My recovery participation decreases. Life gets too busy to put my higher power and program first. And I start to think I can live like a normal person again and not go to meetings, etc. It doesn't take long before I am white-knuckling it, angry, and the drama starts to increase. I've been fortunate enough that I've been able to see this pattern and have corrected it by getting back into program and reevaluating my recovery. Perhaps that's a perk to having bottoms that were as low as mine have been. I have walked through hell, and my memories of it are still very clear. When relapse gets too close, I get frightened enough to fix it. And and I just want to pause for a moment and say um, thank you, Patty, for that inside look um, at at what happens, and and for recognizing that you know the relapse starts with um, you know letting go of your recovery. Uh, with getting too busy, with um, you know, starting to feel the victim again. I think mm-hmm. sometimes I've heard I've heard that um, from some of my friends in in the other programs uh, that that when um, they stop living God's will and start trying to live their own will, and and they start seeing that you know everybody's against them and everything is shit, and why not drink? Um, you know, that's the path. And uh, so, yeah, so thanks, Patty. Uh, And then she goes on. My recovery in Al-Anon has known bigger relapses than my addiction recovery. I'm coming out of a huge Al-Anon relapse now, the worst I've ever known. I'm back working the steps again, trying to figure out how this happened. I faced a couple challenges in my Al-Anon recovery. The first is that I've only seen the faces and not the big picture. In the past, I have gotten into Al-Anon because of a particular qualifier, initially my father. Once the bumps were worked out of that relationship, I drifted away from Al-Anon. A few days later, I was back in Al-Anon working on a new qualifier, my spouse. Again, after we divorced, I drifted away, only to return again a few years into my second marriage. This latest bottom for me has centered around work and issues with my adult children. It wasn't until the latest relapse that I realized that my Al-Anon recovery is about me, not my current qualifier. I have a compulsive addiction to controlling and rescuing people and all the other Al-Anon traits. That is progressive, and it is killing me. This addiction is just as powerful as my other addiction, and it requires the same commitment to sobriety. I did not completely understand this until the latest Al-Anon relapse. The second challenge that's fueled my Al-Anon relapses has been that was difficult for me to separate my spirituality from certain religious and societal expectations. I've had my need for boundaries condemned by religious friends who didn't understand my disease. Pressure from Religious friends to continuously forgive and help others has made me feel reluctant and guilty about setting boundaries in relationships that were clearly out of control. Society's definition of how good mothers and good employees act makes boundary setting difficult for me as well. These internal conflicts made my boundaries fuzzy and my relationship with my higher power complicated. This latest relapse is leading me to redefine my higher power in a way that doesn't compromise my need to abstain from compulsive caretaking, people-pleasing, and controlling. In the early years of my addiction recovery, I realized I needed to avoid active addicts in certain triggering situations if I wanted to maintain my sobriety and recover. As years have passed and I've grown, I'm not as fragile as I was back then. I try not to push my limits too much, but I'm no longer triggered by every other commercial on television like I once was. 
This latest Al-Anon relapse has taught me that it's okay if I need to avoid relationships and situations that trigger me, even when well-meaning people tell me otherwise. My renewed Al-Anon sobriety is still fragile. I'm not adept at using the program tools yet. As I rework the Al-Anon steps this time, I'm doing it slowly and purposefully. I finally understand that Al-Anon tools are not just a way to help me survive my latest qualifier. Al-Anon is the path to serenity and healing in all my relationships, including my relationship with my higher power and myself. Sorry for rambling so much. Thanks for listening. Love the podcast. I listen during my commute, and it helps me start my day off right. This show and meetings have brought me through one of the worst times in my life. You are all on my gratitude list. Blessings to each of you. Patty. So you connect with anything she says there? <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah, all of it. Um, I I often say that Al-Anon saved my life. Um, the way I was living and what I was doing, um, and trying to control, um, and and my constant relapses sometimes were were doubting too because I I would drift away from the program, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, I mean, I, I was digging my, my own hole. <laughs> Don't, we always. Yeah, Don't we always? Yeah, I, I really was. Um, I remember this definition of, of when, of hitting bottom or I don't know, description uh, in, in an early meeting, somebody said, you know, how do you know when you've hit bottom? When you stop digging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we all have different bottoms. Yes. And sometimes we have more than one. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but the good thing was that every time I came back after a relapse, nothing had changed. My program was still there, and I've I've had some bad relapses where I left um, my tools in the cupboard, mm-hmm. and I never looked in. I didn't attend meetings. I I detached from my sponsor, from my friends that are in the program. I completely walked away at times, and. Um, every time I came back, it felt just as good. And for me, that was definitely part of my process. Yeah. And I'm thinking about my own slips, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, The times when, when I have put my program aside and it has usually been about me wanting to run things my way. Uh, And... And I think feeling that, you know, if I was really working the program, that it would tell me to act differently in a way that I'm acting right now, and I and I want to act this way right now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this is the way I want things to go. Um, and if I really took the program tools and looked at things, and and I had, I'm I'm seeing some stuff that happened over the last year, I'm starting to see more clearly, you know, what was going on in me at the time and where I had been justifying behavior. I had been not really looking honestly at my motivations and Mm -hmm. my actions. Um, and, and how that led to, um, some outcomes that I'm not happy about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately it took, you know, it took that outcome to force me to step back and look and see, Oh, maybe that really wasn't healthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe that really wasn't a good idea. Uh, even though it 
seemed like a good idea, you know, seemed like a good idea at the time. Right. So, um, and, and I guess that's sort of, you know, that's sort of a relapse process in a, in a, in a, in a real way, a very real way. Um, it's definitely true that this is a program that is kind of a, it's a life lesson program. Cause, no cause yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't right now, I don't have, um, I don't have the same active um, alcoholism or addiction in my life that I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's kind of day and night right now, and um, it's interesting because I'm working my program harder than ever right now, and that's just because, again, it's not about the qualifier, and that was something I didn't know in the beginning. Right now, it's about me, and I have now seen because of the steps and everything that comes with the program that I have a disease that is just as chronic mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and strong as as my loved ones do. And um, it's, it's just harder to see. Yeah, yeah, it is really really hard to see. But it's when 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 an addict you know, uses her alcoholic picks up. I mean, it's really freaking obvious. Yeah. I was there. And, and when we have a relapse, it's can be really subtle. Right. And we don't have it. I know for me, I used to get down on myself too, because I was like, I don't have anything to attach it to except for me. This is me. And that was a scary thing uh-huh. and, and hard to accept because you can't attach it to a, a drink or a drug. For, for me, it's my, this is my mental and emotional thought process that's getting me where I'm at. So what tools do you use when you get into that space? (laughs) How do you, how do you use your program to get, to get out of that space? Well, one thing I learned, and this is probably why I was, I relapsed as I did. And as I do is cannot do it by myself. I cannot. And relying on my loved one is not, the right way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, honestly, the first thing I do, because oftentimes I'm still kind of trapped by my feelings, is I reach out. Um, I contact my sponsor immediately or a friend in the program. Mm-hmm. Um, or I pray first. It's one or the other. Or both. Or both, yes. Yeah. Both at the same time. Um, those are probably my first go-tos. Always. Yeah. Yeah, and, and when you were when you were talking about you know, it's me. There's nothing, you know, there's no substance. There's mm-hmm. no, there's no alcohol. There's no drug. Um, it's all me. Then what my thought was, well, that's why steps two and three are there. Mm-hmm. Um, because that makes it. And, and I would, I would say that, you know, for the alcoholic or the addict, I mean, it's a spiritual disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and they need, they need that help as, you know, I mean, yeah, they have, they have something external you can see. They have a substance. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we don't, but, um, the spiritual malady and the, and the treatment for the spiritual malady are, are very much the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that's something that has taken me a long time to, to really understand for myself, uh, to be developing, a relationship with a higher power that, that loves me and wants the best for me. Um, that's a work in progress for me still. Uh, but it's, it's getting easier and easier. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, I can still let go of it. <laughs> yeah. 
think we all can relate. Um, okay. Uh, so I, I want to also um, bring in a little bit. Uh, last week I talked with Michelle, who I was going to, you know, do an interview and, and use some of her stuff in in this relapse episode. And then um, she told her story so well that I just used the whole thing. Um, but she talked about when her son relapsed the most recent time and he was off in another state and was wanted to go to, to a treatment center and needed to go across the state, I guess, or, you know, it was, she said it was two hours away, but he was going to have to be on the bus for 10 hours and like two different buses or something. And, and she said, and the difference this time is that I didn't have to put myself on the bus with him. Mm-hmm. That she said in the past, I would have had the bus schedule. I would have known when it was stopping everywhere. I would have called him or texted him. I would have had him text me. I would have reminded him he had to eat. I would have, you know. And she said, this time, I didn't have to do that. And that is the, that is the letting go and, and trusting that our loved one has a higher power that to me is one of the main ways that the, the program really helped me get through those relapses, that, that, that serial relapsing period that went on for, for several years, that I didn't have to go there with her. Um, and, and, and I just had another little anecdote. Uh, a couple of years ago, we were on vacation with my family, and um, we had had some negotiation ahead of time about uh, sort of could people drink, you know, was she okay with people drinking around her? And um, she said, yeah, okay, because this is, you know, it was important to them that we were going to a place that had wineries and stuff and they wanted to be able to, you know, um, sample the local product, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister, as my sister said, you know, that's a big part of going to this place is 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 doing the wine tastings and stuff. And uh, we'd been there a few days and one evening my wife turned to me and she said, can we go to a meeting tomorrow? Um, and I said, yeah, absolutely. So got on the internet, looked up meetings in the area, um, found uh, a time when there were, there was an Al-Anon meeting and an AA meeting not too far away from each other at the same, basically the same time. Um, and as, so as we were driving over there the next morning to go to these meetings, um, she, she told me what had prompted her, which was what she had been sitting, I think, um, you know, at the dinner table and, and, uh, my parents, my sister were drinking wine and, and she said, this thought came into her head, you know, I could, I could just have one. And, and she knew that that was a dangerous thought, mm-hmm. you know, but that could have been the beginning of, of the relapse, that thought, mm-hmm. that very simple thought. I could, I could just have one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Michelle referred to the great obsession, which is, um, it's it's in the big book somewhere. I don't remember exactly where. I'm sure um, one of our listeners can can point us at it. Um, the great obsession that that alcoholics can drink normally, hmm. um, that and that and they and they can't. Yeah. Um, and I just noticed there's some comments in the uh, in the chat room here. Um, oh, okay. So uh, uh, Mark from Recovered Cast is listening, and he uh, posted a link to the uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman heroin overdose, um, which. I guess you popped up yeah. on the iPad just as yeah, we were getting started. Um, 
And uh, uh, Miss Charlie uh, says, I have my Ellen on seasons too. In fact, I'm in an off season at present. Family and work circumstances have kept me from meetings for the past four months. I call this the winter of my discontent. So grateful for this podcast for helping fill in the gaps. You really do make a huge difference in the lives of your listeners. Thanks, Miss Charlie. I couldn't do that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm one of these people that I came into the program and I just grabbed onto it like a lifeline. And I know that during the, during the time of um, the pink cloud time, uh, I think I was going to one meeting a week plus my AWOL group. Um, but there really has not been a time when I've stopped going because I need it. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I feel it when I'm not there. So uh, I don't know. Do you have any uh, any closing thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I th- I loved what you said about uh, referencing Michelle and how um, she didn't have to get on the bus. Also, that was that was great because I think I was the same way. Where I think it's so easy for it to become the, like a we and everything, and not a me and you. When my when my ex went to prison, I put myself in a prison. Mm. Um, and it's just, that was, that was one of my seasons, you know, Mm -hmm. where I disconnected entirely. Really? Yeah. And it's, it's just, as, as the seasons come and go, and that's what I love to think about it, is the idea that it comes back again and again. And eventually, um, like you said, I mean, we all have our own pathways and I'm just now grabbing on, um, when I, cause now I realize I cannot live. Actually, I know I can live without this program. It's a matter of not wanting to mm-hmm, for mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great, it's a great tool in itself. All right. And, uh, I just want to echo what uh, a friend of mine in the program often says that I am my own qualifier. Um, often when I tell my story now, I talk about the alcoholic who's, Behavior brought me to the program, but what really qualifies me to be an Al-Anon is myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I guess, I mean, if you take qualifies as as tradition three, you know, to be a problem of alcoholism in a family member or friend, okay. But it's really me. I'm here for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me a while to figure that out, but I'm here for me. I wanted to close with this reading that uh, Miss Charlie pointed us at. Thank you. This is from our book, Courage to Change, page 180. I always felt that my loved one's drinking was a terrible reflection on me, and I worried what people thought. One day he told me he wanted to get sober. I was elated for a day until his next binge. Then I was devastated. Some months later, my loved one finally did go to AA. Two days later, the drinking began again. The most important thing I've learned in Al-Anon since then is that my well-being cannot depend on whether the alcoholic drinks. His behavior is not a reflection of me, it's a reflection of his disease. However, my behavior is a reflection of me, and I owe it to myself to pay attention to what it has to tell me. I have to take care of myself. I have to accept that alcoholism is a disease which can be arrested but not cured. Many alcoholics make a number of attempts at sobriety before actually getting sober. Others never do. My life is too important to waste waiting for someone else's choices, even when it's someone I dearly love. So we're going to take a break. After that, we'll continue with Our Lives in Recovery, where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. Listen to Seether singing the song Fine Again. 
And I actually found, I'm sure I'd heard this song before, but I found a reference to it um, in a discussion somewhere online about uh, songs about relapse. And I've listened to it several times. It, it really um, speaks about how hard it is to stay clean. And the, uh, the lyrics start out, and I think all the lyrics are good, but the, it starts out, It seems like every day is the same, and I'm left to discover on my own. It seems like everything is gray, and there's no color to behold. They say it's over, and I'm fine again. Yeah. Try to stay sober. Feels like I'm dying here. And, you know, everything is gray. There's no color. I mean, that's sort of the, the emotional part of the relapse that... You know, there's no point to life, and I'm, I'm going to pick up a drink here because it's going to put color back in life. It seems like every day is the same, and I'm left to discover on my own. It seems like everything is gray, and there's no color to In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. And we were both sitting here trying to think about uh, our meetings this week, and uh, we weren't having a lot of success in uh, in remembering the topic, but uh, that's okay. I did make it to, made it to three meetings this week, um, which... I have been for three weeks in a row. I missed my Wednesday night meeting once because I was sick once because I was out of town. And then once because I was just working, I was working late and it was like, well, let's see. Okay. I don't have time to go home and then go to the meeting. I just go straight to the meeting from here. And then it's like, Oh, I don't have time to go to the meeting. <laughs> uh, so I was really glad to get back to that meeting because that's um, one of my prime meetings. It's got uh, a lot of people with long-term recovery. And in fact, one of the members was celebrating 40 years in the program uh, that that night, which is pretty astounding. The uh, the thing that's, I guess the thing that's been sort of on my mind this week has been the weather uh, and really um, forcing me to, you know, accept things that are not in my control. Uh, we've uh, apparently this January which we just came out of. It's now February 2nd when we're recording. It's been the snowiest month ever in that they've recorded in the area. Like, not just the snowiest January, but the snowiest of any month. Uh, and, uh, you know, people are saying, oh, wow, it's like an old-fashioned winter. Like, it's really winter. Um, plus, we had uh, a couple bouts of, like, minus 10 to minus 15 um, weather, which has also been unusual recently. Um and it didn't quite break. Well, I think some days it broke the record. So there's been a lot of acceptance there about, yes, it's cold. Yes, it's snowy. 
Um, and I have to, you know, I have to adapt to my life. I have to adapt to, to what it is uh, because I can't change it. And maybe that's easier when it's the weather than when it's somebody you love. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely easier when it's the weather. Uh, it's practice. <laughs> it's practice. It is practice. Um, yeah, so um, has not been a, a week full of recovery. It's been a week full of... Okay, no, actually, um, I'm using my tools at work. Work is being, and I've talked about this a lot recently, work is, is continuing to be very busy, somewhat stressful. Um, Friday morning, I went in to discover that something that we had tried to run overnight that we hoped would fix a problem wasn't fixing the problem. And then another part of the system that I'm responsible for was also having problems. And, and I was just like, oh, this is the perfect storm. Like everything's broken at once. Um, I might as well give up, <laughs> you know. And one of the people who'd been pushing on this problem we were trying to fix over Thursday night uh, came over uh, to my desk to talk to me. And I kind of groaned or something and she smiled and she said you got a minute I said oh yeah for you anything <laughs> because um, you know it wasn't I mean two things there one what was going on was not her fault it was just um, as, as I as I told a friend it was um, you know the stuff was flowing downhill it was flowing downhill from the external customer to the person who was dealing with the external customer to the person who um, had to support um, the person who was dealing with the external customer to me, um, you know. So it kept on flowing downhill onto me, and it and you know it wasn't it wasn't her fault, uh, and she was just as concerned as I was. We had a as as Ruth said, we had a common goal, which is to you know keep our customers happy, right? Um, and rather than being antagonistic about it being oppositional about it. We needed to work together. Um, so that was, that was, um, that was part of it. And, uh, you know, the other part is sort of one of the, one of the character defects that I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm working on learning new behaviors for, uh, about the way in which I communicate with other people. And that, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt me it probably helps me to, you know, be pleasant mm. to, um, focus at the, at the person that I'm talking to all these, all these basic communication skills that I don't know where I should have learned them, but I should have learned them somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, in those situations where I need to remember, and this goes back to our, I think it was our first tradition talk, um, um, last month where, you know, we're all here for a common purpose. Um, we, we want to work together to find a solution to the problem rather than maybe pointing fingers at each other, pointing blame. Um, oh, I know it's the other part of it was that, that, you know, the sort of the step 10 part that, um, you know, maybe, maybe I wasn't wrong, but this thing that I'm responsible for creating and maintaining was not doing what it needed to do to, to make the customer happy. And, you know, the program tells me that I need to, to stand up and say, yeah, I am responsible for this. And, 
I am doing what I can to make it right. You know, that's about making amends. And uh, maybe that's obvious, but again, working, working the principles in all parts of my life, in all my affairs, in the long run, makes it, makes life better and easier. Um, you know, it might, in the short run, it might be, it might be, it might feel my, my old behavior, my relapse behavior would be to try to cover up, to not, to not, Oh yeah, yeah, we're working on it. It'll be fine. You know, it'll be fixed real soon. Um, and not to say, wow, um, you know, it's still effed up. Um, I really don't know why the system's behaving this way. This is not the way it's supposed to behave. Um, I'm very frustrated about it. And here's the steps that I'm going to take next. And I can't guarantee that these will work, uh, but I will let you know, you know, by such and such a time, again, what's happening. And that's a much healthier way to be, to interact with my coworkers than, than some of the ways that I had done it in the past. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. I did use the program this week. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> um, this has actually been a really awesome week for me. Um, because I'm really exploring my toolbox, if that's a way to put it. Um, what I've, you know, what I've been trying hasn't always worked, and the program gives us so many tools um, to to try on. And I think I I think I forget that sometimes. So um, I'm still very much so affected by um, this disease, and I'm still very much so um, limited by my fears. Um, there was a reading this week and, um, I don't know, this may have been Wednesday. I'm not sure when I was at my, my meeting. Um, but the reading was about acknowledging that in the past I lived moment by moment that plans could change at any time. So I developed this mistrust and this sense of being on the edge at all times and having to like hold on to everything so tight um, because it could be taken away from me. Um, and that's not the situation now, but because that's how I've lived, it still affects me. And having read that and having talked about something similar in the meeting, um, I decided it's time to try to figure out how am I going to like move past this and, and kind of conquer my fears. And it's been an interesting week. I, you know, I tried meditating, um, for the first time, like by myself. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know if it worked. I don't know, but it slowed me down. And I think that that was the best lesson I got. And so this week has been a lesson of, um, slowing down because I can't pay attention to like these readings and to what's happening in my meetings and the tools that I have. If I'm like constantly going, which I think, you know, we get so busy with work and everything that we, we adjust to that pace when we can really set our own pace. Um, so it's, it's been an interesting week. You know, I liked the meditation. Um, I, I've been told of a great tool as a, as like a, a God box where, you know, if something comes up and you can't talk about it at that time because you're choosing not to for whatever reason, because you're not ready or the opportunity just doesn't come up, you know, write it down and put it in this box or put it in your pocket, whatever it may be. And when that opportunity, because I'm trusting in my higher power is going to pop up again, mm -hmm. I can take advantage of it. So I did that because I have a really hard time tabling 
conversations. Mm-hmm. I want to like just word vomit all over um, the the situation. I want to attack it, and I'm I'm oftentimes not ready because I'm I'm like going head on strong. So I tried that, and it worked for the night, um, and it was nice, and it got me through. And then the next day, um, I felt like relief until then someone put the how do I say it like they kind of opened my god box and took that topic out Mm. and said hey let's talk about this okay um and and I can say that that was a very good example of a relapse you know I did well in the beginning and then I had a relapse and but that's kind of the 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 message I guess for me is that I have to be patient with myself so I can make those mistakes I made some progress Mm -hmm. and it didn't work fully but I'll get there. Mm-hmm. So it's been a really um, good week and in trying to do that. And, you know, constantly, if I've got downtime, I'm putting my program first and I'm, you know, let's do a fourth step question, which mm-hmm. I've been avoiding <laughs> for uh-huh. years now. So it's it's been a week of trying tools on and seeing what works and what doesn't. So cool. it's been interesting. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about um, meditating, I had a conversation with a, a program friend who was recently faced with some some news that required some decisions to be made fairly quickly about some really major stuff. And, you know, we talked about how this felt really like a lot of pressure um, and about how they really hadn't had time to just sit with it. Hmm. That they'd been feeling like, got to got to do things, got to, got to make decisions, got to do these things, got to, got to, got to go, got to go, got to mm-hmm. go. And I said, okay, so here's what you need to do. You know, um, you need to, you need to meditate or pray or, you know, whatever it is that works for you. You need some, you need to take some quiet time with this, um, and take, take this thing that you're, you're struggling with this decision and all the actions around it and just sort of hold them in care while you do whatever works for you to, to quiet your mind down. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think I know that's how I work, that when something comes up, something is a, a crisis. I just don't want to like go, 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 figure it out, fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that's, that's not what I need. Right. Um, because I, I can't often, I can't make, a decision that feels right if I'm pushing myself all the time to make the right decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a good reminder. Thanks. Next week, um, our topic will be tradition two, which says for our group purpose, there is but one authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern, which when you think about that, it's a pretty radical statement. Like, how often have you been in a group that has no leaders that, uh, you know, it's led by God, um, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. I mean, how does that work? Right. Um, and what are these trusted <laughs> servants? What does that mean? Um, so, uh, yeah, we welcome your thoughts. Uh, please join the conversation. Um, leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or, or questions about tradition too, you know, maybe about how you might apply it in your personal life or how you do use it in your personal life. Jessica, how can people send us feedback? 
You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send us an email to feedback at therecoveryshow.com. We'd love to hear from you, so share your experience, strength, and hope and your questions about today's topic of relapse or next week's topic of Tradition 2. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And Jessica, where can people find out more about The Recovery Show? Our website, therecoveryshow.com. It has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, a blog with periodic meditations, and links to the music we play. We've also got some links to the other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. There are many ways to contribute to the content of the podcast and the website. You can leave comments on the blog, or you could take a look at our suggested topic list. If you see a topic you'd like covered, leave a comment there to vote it up. If you don't see a topic you're interested in, let us know and we'll get right on it. Or just hop on over to therecoveryshow.com and enter the conversation there. And, you know, if you'd really like to join the conversation, I mean, literally join the conversation, consider being um, a guest host by phone, Skype, or maybe Google Hangout. Uh, if you're interested, uh, you know, like we did with Michelle, uh, email feedback at com if you're interested and we'll work out the details. So before we uh, dive into the email bag, we have another musical break, and we're going to listen to Out is Through by Alanis Morissette. And... As the title suggests, this song tells us that the only way out is through, that we must experience life and there aren't any shortcuts. And if relapse is part of the way through, then it is also part of the way out. And a, a couple of lyrics here that uh, that struck me. My tendency to want to do away feels natural, and my urgency to dream of softer places feels understandable. The only way out is through. Every time you raise your voice, I see the greener grass Every time you run for cover, I see this pasture Every time we're in a funk, I picture a different choice Any time we're in a rut, this distant grandeur My tendency to want to do away feels natural and Urgency to dream of softer places feels understandable but The only out. way out is through The faster we're in, the better The only way out is through Oh, so madly The only way out is through The only way we'll feel better The only way out is through Oh, so Yeah. 
our email bag uh, got kind of full this week, uh, including the uh, the two emails we already read about uh, about relapse. And Jessica, maybe you could read uh, Mary's short note. Yeah, I love your podcast. They help me to start each day. My qualifier is actively drinking, and I would like to know how other members of Al-Anon deal with the embarrassment of drinking in front of family or friends. And that's a really good question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I think for me, part of that answer is coming to understand that their behavior is their behavior, and it's it's not mine. That can sometimes help a little bit, um, but it 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 was a tough one for me. Um, so Brian. Um, frequent correspondent Brian wrote to us and said, Michelle rocks. He said, only could make through half of it today. We'll try and finish it tomorrow. Michelle a little further, is a little further along than us, I think he meaning, meaning him and his wife. Our loved one just turned 19 in November. Being a father of an addict is one thing. Being a mother is a whole different animal. Just like my wife, Michelle has an almost prehistoric, uncontrollable urge to love her child. Primitive in nature, it remains intact until that kid turns around. I think Golda Meir, who was the first prime, female prime minister of Israel, said it best. If all the politicians were mothers, there would be no war. I guess that is why Al-Anon was fired up by a woman. Me and my brethren, men, have this very inhuman ability to compartmentalize our shit into neat little tidy boxes. Don't get me wrong, there are exceptions, but this would explain why I have been the only full-time male member of the group for the last year. Michelle and the mothers of this thing of ours are more man than any of us. Please send her my regards. I think you just found your next rock star, Brian. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we had a little conversation with Julie. You want to start reading that? Yeah. Just heard you read my letter on the relapse preview episode. So fun and yet so sobering at the same time. No pun intended. It is an amazing feeling to know that there is a huge network of folks out there that know my our story, my hurt, my fears, and are also slowly growing in their serenity and hope as they apply the Al-Anon principles. I had a weekend away this weekend with just one of my daughters who was in a sports competition. This allowed me lots of time to listen to podcasts while running and read different sections of Opening Our Hearts, Transforming Our Losses. Today, I have felt the closest to normal I felt in a long time. I, without a doubt, have you and your vulnerable and wise guests and co-hosts to thank for that. Always listening, Julie. And, uh, you know, I wrote back to thank her for, for her support. And uh, and she responded um, with a very personal note, um, which I did ask whether it was okay to, to share here. And uh, can, could you keep reading? Yeah. Hey, Spencer. I think I may have what is called a trauma bond with my qualifier. Although she's not an abusive partner spouse, but a younger gal to whom I began mentoring post-college who lived with my family, and I became quite close in my attempts to help. I have recently discovered that trauma bonds can develop with someone who has lived with al- active alcoholism and the trauma that comes from that. So there is an addictive component on my end. Due to the fact that she exhibited what I now know are BPD, NPD characteristics that sucked me into her vortex, I don't know if this is making any sense, but I would so love to move on since she now lives 45 minutes away. 
We text daily, and when I see her, like I did last night as I went to an AA meeting with her, and then we caught up, it always takes me a day to come back to my true self and quit obsessing. She will be 60 days sober on Sunday, I believe. But because of the horrific abuse in her childhood and teenage years, once she hits 90 days, her therapist will then progress on to other addictions in her life. Okay, just typing all of this is exhausting to my heart as it's all as it's all that has been on my mind today. I did not grow up in a family that drinks, and I have only been exposed to this type of living with an alcoholic for almost three years now. I'm constantly amazed at how people do this, and I'm even more grateful for Al-Anon and all the resources out there for all the pain. What a good God we have to provide paths to serenity and healing. Thank you for what you are doing. Julie. And when I asked her if I could share this with, with you, our listener, her answer was, absolutely, you can use anything. I'm also going to send you links to what has led me to this discovery. I always thought she exhibited borderline slash narcissistic traits. So, uh, oh yeah, BPD is borderline personality disorder, I think. And and I guess uh, MPD would be narcissist. So narciss- I can't even say the word. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, where was I? <coughs> but when a staff member at a treatment center told me they don't ever diagnose any personality disorders until one is 90 days clean, I just backed away thinking maybe it was just the alcohol. But her history of childhood abuse plus growing up in a family of disorder and alcoholics makes her highly susceptible. Now get me, I love this gal. My family loves this gal. My kids, ages 12, 15, 17, see her as their big sister. She's beloved amongst the alumna at our university for her passionate athleticism. But because her family of origin is a mess, I became that safe place slash mother figure. This role in her life came with high highs and low lows. And now I'm enmeshed, trying desperately to break free. This is typical for someone with a codependent bent, so you can imagine what a gift the 12 Steps, Encouraged to Change, and the Elanon Blue Book and your program have been to me. And she sent links uh, with information about trauma bonds. I will post those in the show notes, which will be at therecoveryshow.com slash 59. We got one new iTunes review this week uh, titled Serenity in Traffic uh, by Shay Fan. I have really enjoyed these podcasts. The hosts are genuine, and I'm learning so much from the experiences they share. Listening to these programs have pulled me out of more than one spiral and brought me to serenity in the face of conflict, as well as gridlock traffic. I feel like I am part of their family and hope this podcast will continue for many years to come. If you are part of Al-Anon, this podcast will soon be as meaningful to you as your daily reader. Well, wow. Thank you. Mm. Um, I, I don't feel worthy. Um, okay, I'm going to go back to um, what this woman in a in a open talk I was listening to said, she said, when I'm sponsoring or otherwise working with somebody in the program, I remember that I am not the source, Hmm. that my higher power is the source. And when I get thanks and gratitude, I remember to pass that back to the source, which is my higher power. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I do here. Let's see. You can listen live as we were recording. Uh, We had a couple listeners today. Miss Charlie and Mark at least were there. Just click on the Listen Live link at the top of the page, and while listening, you can interact with us and other listeners in the chat room. To get to the chat room, click on the little speech bubble at the bottom edge of the player. We are planning to record our next episode Sunday, February 9th, at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is, um, if I did my math right, that's 19 GMT, for those of you who are not in the North American time zone system. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show. We do have expenses, which are running about $60 a month. 
You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Ann and Lori did. And thanks again, Ann and Lori. Another way to support the show is to buy recovery books from Amazon. We've put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page, and if you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, including just listening to us. We are here for you. And uh, Jessica, you want to introduce our last song? Yeah, we're going to close the show with Starting Over by Macklemore. Um, I remember the first time that I heard this song, and I know Spencer agrees too, is um, it just captured us. Um, he's he's honest and he's genuine, and he speaks truth. He speaks his truth. Um, and it's, it's just another example of uh, being able to relate to to each other and to build this community um let's see spencer found a comment on on youtube and it says honestly i've never really got into macamore until today i finally bought the album and i've been listening to it i literally just got to the song and everything ceased to exist i sat there how have i never heard this tears i've lost so much to drugs and especially alcohol over the years i lost the woman i loved so much still love so much Battling addiction and depression, the song is one of those gems that you stumble upon and instantly feels like it was written for you. I'm on YouTube because I sent this video in a text to someone special. This song has actually made me feel much stronger. I'm now a huge fan of this guy. I really am. Um, I know I can definitely relate to that, too. I feel so many things when I hear this song. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to link to a live performance um, from the show notes. Uh, again, therecoveryshow.com slash 59. Um, and in the live performance, he talks at the beginning about what, um, you know, about the experience of of relapse and how um, it brought him to, to write this song. One, two, now Those three plus years I was so proud of And I threw them all away for two styrofoam cups The irony Everyone will think that he lied to me Made my sobriety so public there's no fucking privacy If I don't talk about it then I carry a date A zero eight, ten, oh eight Then that was been changed And every one that put me in some box is saying That I never was Just a false prophet that never came And will they think that everything that I've written is all been fake Or will I just take my slip to the grave uh. What the fuck are my parents gonna say The success story they got his life Together and changed And you know what pain looks like When you tell your dad you relapsed And look him directly into his face The seat on your shoulders deceivingly heavy weight Haven't seen tears like this on my girl In a while the trust that I once built's been betrayed But I'd rather live telling the truth Than be judged for my mistakes Than falsely held up Giving props, loved, and praised I guess I gotta get this on the page Feeling Sick and helpless, lost the compass where soap is I know what I gotta do, and I can't help it One day at a time is what they tell us Now I gotta find a way to tell them God help them Yeah, one day at a time is what they tell us Now I gotta find a way to tell them 
Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. We did not talk about a problem we are facing today. Feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time. And every kid that came up to me and said I was the music they listened to when they first got clean. Now look at me, a couple days sober, I'm fighting demons. Back of that meeting on the east side, shaking, tweaking, hope that they don't see it. Hope that no one is looking, that no one recognizes that failure under that hoodie that's posted in the back with my hands crossed, shooken. If they call on me, I'm passing. If they talk to me, I'm booking out that door. But before I can make it, somebody stops me and says, are you Macklemore? Maybe this isn't the place or time. I just wanted to say that if it wasn't for other side, I wouldn't have made it. I just look down at the ground and say thank you. She tells me she has nine months and that she's so grateful. Tears in her eyes, looking like she's gonna cry. Fuck, I barely got 48 hours, treated like I'm some wise monk. I wanna tell her I relapsed, but I can't. I just shake her hand and tell her congrats. Get back to my car, and I think I'm tripping, yeah. Cause God wrote other side, that pen was in my hand. I'm just a flawed man, man, I fucked up. Like so many others, I just never thought I would. I never thought I would, didn't pick up the book Doing it by myself didn't turn out that good If I can be an example of getting sober Then I can be an example of starting over If I can be an example of getting sober Then I can be an example of starting over